The Athletic. Welcome to what I hope is a very special episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. Jack Benyon from the Race here, your host. There's no J.I. Hildebrand today. We've got far too many people on the podcast to get through. One of which is Tony Dezino who joins me. Tony, how are you doing? I'm good, Jack, and thank you so much for for the invitation. Uh, you know, it's funny, Jr. I've, I've known for well over a decade. So uh, hopefully, if I can match his pace and insight, I'll I'll be doing all right. <laughs> well if you like what you hear from tony you can definitely check him out on twitter uh, i think i recently referred to him as the the indycar twitter goat i think that's the phrase that i used to describe you recently um, what was particularly uh, funny what was particularly funny about that is marcus erickson started following me like 10 minutes after that tweet went out so <laughs> continuing the, the uh, theme of the race indycar podcast and marcus yeah and what have you so yeah yeah our good friend our good friend so the reason tony's here today is we're going to interview all of the road to indy champions from this season so this is hopefully to introduce those guys to you if you're an IndyCar follower and not necessarily able to keep up with the uh, many, many junior series that there are on the ladder and the races that take place across the course of the season. We're going to give you a little refresher of what's happened this year. We're going to interview all of the star drivers from those championships. And Tony and I are going to shoot the breeze a little bit on each of them and try and uh, bring some colour to to what has been their their seasons. So, Tony, I want to start with uh, Linus Lundqvist, obviously the championship closest to IndyCar, Indy Lights. Uh, five wins this season. Um, his worst finish was sixth, uh, which was also the race that he clinched the championship, ironically. Um, and, and someone who... It's kind of been in the news a lot recently because he's uh, he's got a super license through uh, winning British F3 in 2018, the Formula Regional Championship in 2020, and now obviously the Indy Lights Championship as well. So he's been quite, uh, well, you'll hear him in the interview shortly, but I know uh, outside of this podcast, he's spoken about uh, being willing to swap Colton for his IndyCar ride and Colton can have his super license, but I don't think the FIR will go for that, Tony, do you? I, I doubt it, and frankly, we wouldn't want to lose. <laughs> we wouldn't want to lose the the guy that's Indy Lights champ. To uh, anyway, when he's due for very much due for his promotion, based on how good he already was as a freshman and how much even better he was as a sophomore this season. Where I, I think he he entered the year for sure as a championship favorite, but quite how he delivered, I think, was even better and cleaner than even anyone anticipated. Because it it honestly wasn't much of a fight for for most of the season. Yeah, I mean, last year was was pretty good. I mean, he was obviously at a massive disadvantage coming in as a rookie against Kyle Kirkwood and David Malukas, who, you know, we've already seen from from Kyle over the course of his uh, junior single-seater career, arguably one of the best we've probably ever seen. And David Malukas has obviously gone on to show in IndyCar what he's capable of and, and you know, why he was so much of a contender last year. So, and, and Linus wasn't actually that far away from him. And I think if, uh, if he hadn't have had that tyre blow, uh, blowout at Gateway last year, I think... He would have been much closer to that championship hunt, maybe not quite close enough to to really challenge those guys uh, at the end of the season. But it was, yeah, I think he would have it would have flattered him a little bit more. I think um, you know based on that. So yeah, we like you say championship favorite coming in, and um, yeah, I guess is there anything uh, specific that's impressed you, Tony? I think the, the one thing that I've liked about him this season is he seems to have uh, he seems to have learned what many young drivers have to learn the hard way a lot of the time, and that's to not try and win every race and kind of take the points that are available to you and try and find that consistency that that balances you out and, and wins you a championship because these guys are they're obviously so desperate to impress and 
show people what they're capable of doing and, and winning races is obviously a big part of that. But also if you want to win a championship, sometimes you just have to take the fourth positions, the third positions in Indy Lights. So I guess that's the one thing that's impressed me, you know, compared to, to last year. What, what stood out to you? There, there were two, uh, two or three moments pretty early in the season. Um, the first was Barber, where it was one of the tricky... Indy Lights was a really unusual schedule this year. It felt like there were two or three races that got interrupted by weather or by track conditions, or there was a, a fence repair at, at Road America, and so there was a, a gaps. The first race at Barber, um, Linus managed to you know hang on. It's a, it's a damp track. You're on slick tires, and how you kind of hang on in those conditions... You know, whether it's either slicks on a wet track or what's on a, on a dry track, how you hang on to, to your car in those conditions is really interesting. It's, it's a good sense of car control. Linus had a really good good defense against his teammate, uh, Benjamin Peterson, in that, in that race. And, you know, coming off a, a third place at St. Petersburg, which was, you know, a bit of a lucky third place because a couple guys from Andretti went out in front of him. They only just got on the podium. That was his win. And then the same story at, at Indy Race Ace 2, uh, he got the win there, similar it got rained out. We had the Colton dominance in the rain and, you know, fitting we would tie Colton and Linus together, given the whole super license. <laughs> they went on the same day at the same racetrack. And, you know, the people that stuck around to see Linus win that, that second portion of the race, I mean, that positioned him in a really good spot. But once he got to Detroit and had just the dominant, utterly just destroyed the field weekend, pull fastest lap, lead every lap, win both races. I mean, I remember writing going into that weekend, he had a 34 point lead. And I think he came out the other side with 84 points as everyone mm-hmm. else either made a mistake or just fell back or didn't maximize their opportunities. And, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, the championship was his as so long as he kept it smart the rest of the way. Yeah. It very much felt like a, a year where not to take anything away from leanness and what he was able to achieve, but there's a lot of like raw potential in the five or six drivers behind Linus who at various stages of the season just had a bit of bad luck or, you know, were just not quite able to to deliver some of that consistency we were talking about a little bit earlier on. And, you know, especially, you know, you, you mentioned Benjamin Pedersen, Hunter McRae, Matthew Rabberman there as well, Stingray Rob, um, Christian Rasmussen, all guys capable of winning races as we saw and you know we're, we're challenging at the front regularly but just weren't able to do that on a more consistent basis so uh, I guess it's kind of a, a weird season in that sense Tony that we've got so many good drivers but you know Linus was just the one who was able just to, to string everything together and I guess maybe that points to you know an exciting next season as well with a lot of those guys coming back. For sure. And it actually ended with, with six different winners in the last six races, if you can believe it, which yeah. I didn't even realize until after the fact, because guys did finally break through. But, you know, where where Linus also was smart, too, is he he realized when things weren't going correct to not fight it too much. I mean, the, the battle he had at Iowa with Matty Brabs was crazy towards the end <laughs> when they made the contact. They're coming off at turn two. And, you know, just we didn't know who won. And then it, it literally changed, you know, right as as Hunter McElroy, who was getting interviewed, is like, yeah, I, I think I'm third. And yeah, no, actually you won you won mid. So <laughs> <laughs> everything went. But but then anyway, when it got to when it got to Gateway, um, and it was a similar type situation, Linus didn't need to fight as closely as he probably would have if it was a tighter change championship position uh and taking that that second place there was a super smart result uh kept him in championship position and you know Matty Brows guys win there so yeah I think you're right depending on how many guys come back in particular with some of the guys that are going to come up uh as we'll, we'll see through you know the two other primary series within the road to Indy Ladder I think the lights championship should be probably a little more closely contested next year we should talk about that ladder, Tony, because one of the uh, slight issues that we have with this podcast is that we did our interview with 
with Linus Lundqvist before the news that the Indy Lights prize structure is changing slightly. So in the past, it's been $1.2 million or the value of and three IndyCar races, including the Indy 500. Part of that was a sort of $500,000 kind of guaranteed prize that will remain. But the rest of that money um, is being now kind of directed through the teams as like a race by race uh, funding situation. So a little bit unusual because I don't think the teams and drivers in Indy Lights this year have had total clarity over this change. And I think a lot of the drivers are expecting the prize to to remain the same that it was or or even become bigger for, for this season. And in actual fact, it's worked out for for Linus that he's getting a considerably you know less amount of money than than he did before how, how do you see this kind of impacting the the structure because we've got to a kind of unusual situation now where Linus is is taking you know roughly the same as the Indy Pro 2000 champion Louis Foster who's going into Indy Lights next year so it's a bit of an unusual situation isn't it, it it's it is Jack and it's a bit tricky because you essentially have two different owners or, or leaders or sanctioning body types between the Penske Entertainment run Indy Lights and the Anderson Promotions remainder of the road to Indy ladder uh, scale. So that's kind of, it's been kind of percolating, I feel like in the background all year, how there's kind of the divergence between the two, but this is kind of the first physical manifestation of what a difference in dollar amount uh, looks like. And it's, it's peculiar too, because I know we're sitting here, you know, mid to late September, and most of the seats are available or, or sorry that they're not available. They're already filled. And, and if you're Linus and you now have a smaller budget available to bring, and if there's not an engine lease available, dependent on whether the fourth Chip Ganassi car runs full time, whether that doesn't, whether that then affects the coin potential third car, if that happens, which I know you've chronicled a bit and the the whole, whether he's going to be in the second car, if that's not a full season deal, it, it's so many variables. And it's just unfortunate because if you're working towards the, un, the impression that you're on a scholarship, I'm going IndyCar regardless. And now you don't know if that guarantee is there. It's something that hasn't happened uh, in, in more than a decade almost. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're going back 2011, 12 time frame. And, you know, even guys like New Garden and, you know, Vodier, Karam, Chavez, that kind of era, it wasn't necessarily guaranteed that they they would step up. They had to still kind of either get hired or find enough backing on their own. It was really only when uh, Spencer Piggott and the whole Mazda program came into fray that it was it was really good for guys to get the promotion. So yeah, it's definitely weird and it, it's unfortunate that the timing of this is kind of broken so late in the season when you're not really able to think that far ahead uh, for the future year. Yeah, we had Linus on the, I think on the stage at the Indy Lights kind of ceremony or part of the Indy Lights ceremony where he'd won the championship asking what the scholarship was going to be and, and what the situation was. So a really unusual situation, especially if you've got Benjamin Pedersen, who's managed to establish himself at, at AJ Foyt with a seat for, for next season as well. So we'll kind of wait with bated breath now with Linus. I don't think his, uh, his uh, chances of going to IndyCar are totally off the table because of this change, even though, as we'll go on to discuss in the interview, his kind of lack of personal backing and the the difficulty that he faces funding his racing each year. There's still some options on on the table for him, but uh, it's definitely made things a little bit more difficult with this sort of prize revelation. So that being in mind, the interview you're about to hear doesn't feature any questions about that because the news emerged after we've done the interview. We definitely promise in future uh, the Race IndyCar podcast episodes to update you on Linus's progress and what's going to happen within there. His biggest chance at the minute is 
as Tony rightfully pointed out, the the potential for a third Dale Coin car if Ganassi don't run a full time fourth car, um, which is kind of a situation born out of Jimmy Johnson deciding to go part time for next season or no time uh, if he makes that decision. But we're kind of expecting him to do some overalls next year in the Indy 500 at least. So we'll keep an eye on that. Huncos is another seat that's been kind of thrown out there into the ether, but I think this news is so fresh that Linus is now kind of uh, feeling out the paddock and, and seeing what the situation is. So without further ado, let's go and hear a bit more about Linus Lundqvist's season in Indy Lights. So hello, Linus Lundqvist. Congratulations on your Indy Lights Championship. What have you been up to in the in the days passing since? Yeah, hello, mate. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know. I've been just trying to put this smile off my face, but it can't seem to go away. Uh, <laughs> So no, but it's been it's been a good couple of days. Um, very fortunate to to have my family um, here out for the for the race. So celebrated together with them. Uh, and right now I'm in LA. Actually, uh, we had a couple of days here before I'm, I'm heading back to Indianapolis. Awesome. I guess um, tell us a little bit about your I guess your mental approach going into that into that last race because I guess the championship was all but kind of wrapped up and you, you kind of knew it was. But I guess at the same time. You don't really want to go into a weekend with that attitude, do you? So uh, I guess tell us a little bit about how you kind of approached that weekend. Yeah, it was a little bit tricky because I, uh, you know, I've, I think I've clinched championships before the, the the last race, but this one was so because obviously we had the chance of doing it at Portland, uh, we didn't, and then going into this one, I knew that I I had to start the race, and then the, then it was over. So um, I actually thought that I worked through all the emotions and like winning it and knowing it for, for a little while. Um, but yeah, that didn't really matter. As soon as I crossed the line, Jesus Christ, you know, the, like I was in tears as soon as I saw the checkered flag all the way into the podium, <laughs> I think. So, um, so yeah, it was an emotional one, especially like you jump out of the car, you see your family and see the the team that put so much effort and what it means to them as well. It's so, yeah, um, I thought I had it under control and sort of <laughs> went through the process, but obviously I didn't. Uh, but I think it just shows as well how much it means not only to me but but to the whole family and and to the team as well. Yeah, I guess talk a little bit about that because obviously I guess it's not an, it's it's an old story in motorsport. I guess that there's drivers out there who don't always get the maybe don't get the sponsorship they should or the or the backing that they should or their their families maybe aren't as you know well off as as some other families out there. And I guess yeah, does this championship mean a bit more just because? I guess for for a start, you're you're kind of giving something back to those you know that small group of people who who, who have helped you, but also at the same time, it's like a, a I guess a validation that that you were capable of doing this all along when when you had the right support and the right the right people around you. Yeah, totally, um, and and so much more than it's so much more than just a championship and and this year, you know, it's all all the moments that led up to this point and and that we even started off in go-karts was a miracle and to made it this far, uh, yeah, the odds weren't in our favor. Um, so just super, super happy and super proud of the the journey that we've done. Um, and like you said, you know, there's there's been so many people that's, you know, put put their um, um, thoughts with me and, and, and hope that I could do well and, and supported my dreams. So, it was um, it was nice to to kind of repay uh, repay all of them and say that hey we did this together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was very emotional. Sure. I guess obviously the 
the the kind of single seater ladder, I guess you would call it, is kind of in the news a lot at the moment. And uh, I think a few people have quite funnily pointed out that you've got enough uh, points for a super license now. Whereas obviously there's people out there who who don't like Colton Herter who are desperately trying to get one for 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 their futures. But I, I guess just in a more general sense, maybe talk about obviously you've grown up in the in the uh, or, or the European ladder will be most familiar to you. So you've seen kind of how that works. But obviously now you've got you've got a lot of experience of how this American ladder works as well. And I guess a key part of that for someone like you is that the the scholarship system is, you know, it kind of keeps you alive in terms of, you know, keeping your career going, doesn't it? hundred percent. And without the scholarship system, I wouldn't be here today. You know, that was one of the key, key reasons to why, why I moved here to the U S to, to sort of pursue this American dream. Um, and obviously it was, it was a dream come true from, from year one when we won the, the FR championship. And without that scholarship, I wouldn't have made it to lights and, that the season that we've had last year, I wouldn't have been here today. So um, obviously it's good to see that, that the system works. Um, and now I just hope that what we did now in Indy Lights is enough to, to move up to the big cars. Um, but it's funny you mentioned that, uh, that I've got now enough super license points to actually you know, qualify for F1, which is ironic that someone like Colton Herner doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> actually is saying something about that at the, at the press conference because they asked me about it. And I said, well, Maybe we can switch. I'll give him my super license points and I'll get his drive in an in car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that would be that would be a fun swap for, for yeah. both of you guys. <laughs> I, I, I guess um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the the lights car and kind of try and try and bring the the lights car to life for maybe some of the listeners at home who obviously haven't got to drive one or or maybe don't know necessarily about the style and stuff. And I know you've really enjoyed this kind of transition into, you know, learning how to drive the Indy Lights car and and just how kind of sideways it is. And and obviously that makes it great to to watch if you're not a driver and, and someone on the outside who, who gets to watch. You know, it's great to see you guys uh, with like the onboards and stuff, seeing how, you know, kind of sideways and stuff the car gets. But talk us a little bit about through the, the process you've gone through in terms of learning how to kind of extract the pace from that because it's such a... I guess it's kind of like the opposite of how you imagine uh, like a European style single seater championship would be like keeping everything straight and, um, you know, looking after the tyres uh, in a really particular way and, and things like that. Indy Lights is, is definitely not that way, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I would say, like I said, the opposite from it. And uh, the, the first couple of tests, I did not enjoy it at all because it was so different. You know, like you said, in, in all of the single seater system, like in, in Europe and everything that I've driven up to up until the, the in the lights point was that kind of slow is fast. Um, you know, take take good care of your tire, don't slide around too much, and hit your marks, hit your apex, and you'll be good. And I was usually that that's usually my normal driving style as well. But then jumping into the in the lights, I drove with the same that I've always driven, uh, and I found myself half a second off the pace, and I couldn't for the life of me understand where that time was. And then I remember like a couple of the tests last year, um, comparing to my teammate then, David Malukas, uh, looked back and looked at his data and video and he was all over the place, you know, steering more right in a left-hand corner that I've ever seen anybody do. And for some reason, it was just fast. And I was just like, is, is that how you're, you're supposed to drive it? Um, and that's it. That's how you're supposed to drive it because <laughs> it's something with this car and I think more so with this tire, like any other type of tire that I've had does not like surface temperature. But for some reason, the Cooper tire, the more you slide it, the faster it will go. So, um, you know, it's when you think theoretically in your head what the fastest lap would be, that's not how you actually do it on track. You just <laughs> hustle the car with whatever you have. 
you don't really need to hit every apex as long as you carry enough speed and you're early on power the lap time is going to come out of it so it is very tricky to master especially after like coming from europe and and, and trying to um, adapt to that driving style but once you get the hang of it like it's so much fun and it's very rewarding like once you do hook up a lap together and you do like a really good like say pole lap um you feel so rewarding after it um and that's what i've been enjoying to do this year as well because i think we've we put some good laps together i guess it's like uh adding rally driving tcv now after after a year in indy lights <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah a little bit i think on a mini scale uh that's the, that's pretty much what it's like no uh, uh no Vol- no oh, volvos yeah. in indy lights though unfortunately as much as uh, that would that would not be nice. yet not yet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, uh, you you obviously got to test the the Andretti IndyCar uh, in, in the in the last off season, so I guess you have not a lot of experience, obviously, but some experience. So can you see why it's quite? I, I, I'm trying to word this in a way that isn't offensive to anyone who's gone into IndyCar, like to make it sound easy. But it seems like the Indy Lights car is a really good training ground for for going into IndyCar. And we've seen a lot of the recent champions go from Indy Lights, or even people who finished in the in the top three in Indy Lights go into IndyCar and immediately be you know re- relatively competitive at least. So can you can you see that transition? Can you see why that's possible having having driven both cars now? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Indy Lights is the perfect training grounds to uh, to jump up to IndyCar, and we've seen it, like you mentioned in the past. You know, every seems like every driver that does well in Indy Lights seems to be able to uh, do well in IndyCar as well, which uh, which is good when when you look at it from from my perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, I did a test with with Andretti end of last year, um, and that was until this weekend the best day of my life now this one trumps it um but yeah i could see why why it's quite easy for any of the life drivers to adapt to the indycar because honestly in some ways the indycar was a little bit easier to drive because it just did everything so much nicer had more grip Mm -hmm. it was more sophisticated you got more tools and obviously um uh, a lot more people to help you with um uh, with setup and you got more data to look at so um, it was cool it was fun obviously it was still tough i think one of the toughest parts was the was the physical aspect um but in terms of just pure driving it was uh i would say actually a little bit easier than the lights car yeah i guess it's much better to have the difficult part first and and the easier part second than the other way around <laughs> yeah yeah i do think the competition is way higher in indycar though so it's not yeah. gonna be uh it's never gonna be easy is there no, oh, no, definitely. I guess so. Um, so talking about all of that, I guess speaking about how the how you've adapted to the Indy Lights car, and uh, I guess the similarities between the Indy car. I guess you must be feeling quite confident about about next year in terms of you do get that chance to to step up and and kind of where's the where's the mindset at, at the minute? I'm sure you're not going to give us a, a an exclusive right now on the Race Indy Car podcast and tell us exactly <laughs> what you're doing next year because uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's not the case. But but tell us, you know, how confident you are that you're going to get, you know, you're you're going to get to take up your scholarship next year and, and maybe expand on that a little bit with some more races. I'm sure that's what you're de- uh, desperately trying to do at the moment. Yeah, if I had an exclusive, I'd tell you. Uh, <laughs> but, but sadly, uh, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Uh, obviously, uh, the target is to be in IndyCar full time next year. We'll see what happens. Obviously, the news that came out today with with Pelo and and Rosenquist will have a bit of a domino effect. So I think a lot of my future will be determined within the next couple of days or within the week. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I do believe that, like you said, if I do get the chance, um, I feel confident that that we can do a good job. 
Um, and it's things like you look at both uh, both Kirkwood and, and David, and maybe especially David this year. You know, he's he's performed very well, uh, been on the podium and been able to to challenge at the front. And it will be interesting to see what Cal can do the in, in the Entretti, uh next year. We knew we know he's a super talented driver, and you know things like that. Because on my day, I was able to 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 challenge and even beat those guys. So I know that. And if I perform at my top, I'm at least as good as they are. So, yeah, it it makes me uh, feel confident for next year. For oh, sure. I guess just bringing it back to to your indie light season, obviously five wins, uh, a really um, you know nice number of podiums as well, and everything on paper looks really good. Is there a is there a key moment? Do you think looking back on on the year that was really important for you, or is there any of the wins that kind of stand out as meaning a little bit more than any any of the others to you? I'd say the the two wins at Detroit are the one that pops into my my head first mm. um, because Detroit was my favorite track out of all the places last year, uh, but we didn't I didn't manage to win a race. I managed to get a pole and then two second places in the race. So it was one of those places where when I knew that I was coming back, I was just like, yeah, Detroit is the one. I just I just want to win, um, which we did. We won both of the races in two pole positions, and the way that we did it as well, I think we were like half a second to six tenths clear in, in quali. Um, so it was just uh, like one of those perfect weekends for me. Um, so that one will always be nice. The second one I will say is the pole that we that we had at Gateway because that was my first ever pole on an oval. Uh, and it was nice to, to sort of prove to myself that, that I was able to do it. Yeah. I guess the Detroit, you had the, the pole, the fastest lap and the win as well. So you had like the mm. hat trick for, for both races. That's always nice as a driver when you've got that. When you when you notch that hat trick, it's always nice. Yeah, exactly. Speaking, speaking, I, I guess, in terms of the opposite of that, um, I, I, it feels like, you know, this 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 second season that you've had in, in Indy Lights, you've, you've kind of been able to be more consistent and I guess not even more consistent, but just consistently, you know, higher up in terms of what you've been able to achieve, less kind of, um, difficult moments, I guess, and some of those last year were, were out of your control, I, I know, but it definitely feels like you've t- kind of taken a step up in terms of the consistency that you've been able to bring this year. And, you know, would you say that that is the case and, and you feel like maybe that's something you worked on in the off-season to try and be a little bit more um, consistent and try and take some of those results uh, rather than trying to force too much? I guess that's always the the big thing when you're, when you're in a championship battle. Yes, 100%. And that was one of the key things that we try to focus on during the offseason and, and preparing for this year. You know, we, we try to identify what, what we did good last year, but also what we didn't do too good. Um, and I think one of those things were that, you know, on our day, we were as fast as anybody. Um, but when we had our bad days, that wasn't a P3, P4. That was a P8, P9. And we wanted to minimize that and sort of raise our lowest level. And I think we've done a, a really good job of that. Uh, and saying to us ourselves as well that we're not going to win every race, uh, but when we have a bad day, let's try to at least be on the podium or be in the top five. And I think that's that's ultimately how you win a championship. I mean, you, you look at someone like Will Power this year. You know, it's the consistency that at the end of the line, end of the day, is going to get you over the line. Mm. And you saved the the worst result of the season for the for the championship winning race, I guess. So that's that's <laughs> that's just weird as well that, that he saved that for that race. <laughs> yeah, kind of ironic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Lena, thanks so much for spending some time with the Race IndyCar podcast. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll definitely be keeping a close eye in the the coming weeks and months in the uh, in the silly season to see uh, where you end up. But but best of luck with everything. Yeah, cheers. I hope you will be, and uh, I'll chat to you soon, Jack. Thanks, man.
All right, everyone. That was Lena's Lundqvist. Hope you enjoyed that interview. It's nice to to kind of get a, a nice recorded interview with him, to be honest, because we've written a few features on Linus through the year on the race, and he's he's just a, such a bubbly personality and someone who you can just imagine is absolutely banging the door down of every single team boss in the IndyCar series paddock at the moment. So, um, yeah, he's he's a brilliant character, someone who's you know really genuine and, and lovely guy. So it's nice to see him achieve the success that he's looking for and we'll definitely keep an eye on the next few weeks uh, regarding where he ends up next year and what he ends up doing so tony we're going to move on to indie pro 2000 now with uh another a fellow brit louis foster so uh yeah it's nice to it was nice to have two brits at the same time i thought the podcast might explode but uh, everything <laughs> seemed to be everything seemed to be still working afterwards so so that was good uh, a seven win season having come over uh, from from racing in Europe and and around, uh, it's his sixth year of car racing this year. Uh, he's finished second, th- second and third a lot in the championships that he's done. To be honest, he, he's done British F4, British F3. He finished second in in Euro Formula Open uh, last year, which is a, a championship that does a lot of the European tracks and even supports F1 in in some cases. Um, I feel like he's a driver who's he has bounced around a lot, and it felt like. Maybe we were just getting to the point where he's done so many years of of car racing now that he he needed to come in and and win this championship and we'll, he'll he'll definitely address that in our in our interview coming up. Tony, I guess maybe the the most impressive thing in in Louis's case was his kind of how quickly he adapted to some of the things that were new to him, like the the ovals especially and uh, street courses he hadn't raced on before as well. And you know, Saint Pete wasn't exactly ideal for him. He still feels like there was a bit a bit left on the table there. It, that was his first obviously race in, in Indy Pro two thousand. He's still trying to learn the Cooper tires at that point and 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 sort of bed into the team and, and stuff like that. But by the time we got to the second street course, you know, towards the end of the season at Toronto, he was able to to, to do the hat trick there with with Paul's fastest laps and, and wins and uh, kind of similar to Linus Unquist at Detroit situation where he, he totally dominated and then the oval win seemed like a more of a veteran performance you know he let some of the other guys run out in the lead at the start and 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 just looked after his tires looked after his equipment and then picked them off as they started to fall back and uh, I don't know from from inside the paddock Tony did was the oval win maybe the the point of the season where you know people really start to take notice of, of Louis Foster, you think, and, and, and sort of sit up and, and yeah, take notice. Yeah, I think that was a standout point. It, you know, we talked how Indy Lights kind of had a similar six, seven guys that were close-ish. Well, Indy Pro started where it was six or seven guys close-ish, where it was like between <laughs> Reese Gold, Nolan Siegel, um, a few others, uh, the uh, M&M Ahmed at, at Hinko's Hollinger as well, the Jay Howard group. And Louis was just running this this gamut of bad luck where it seemed like whenever he had an opportunity to win he got taken out by his teammate or he just fell off the road or had, something went wrong i got the, i just had the feeling you know and kind of watching the the indie road course weekend really with the pace of the exclusive autosport team that that michael duncast group has put together uh, once he got that first win you just had the sense that kind of the dam would break open and, and getting a road course win again was was not a shock it was very much anticipated but yeah once he got to irp once he got to you know the it's a for, for those who don't know the lucas oil indianapolis raceway park it's a very flat oval it's a little under seven tenths of a mile and you kind of have to run the high line and as jack mentioned you you do try to save your tires l- early on so you're going up against guys this is his first ever oval race right and guys that should know better frankly given their their level of, <laughs> guys that should know better given their level of experience in fact the guy who he, he passed you know reese gold 
Um, he was a guy that was in a similar position last year and also didn't manage his tires again. So I'm like, dude, you're you're a sophomore. You should be you should have learned that by now. And and the fact that that Louis got him, ran away with it, and then maintained the pace later on is like, okay, you you've done it now two events in a row. It's kind of a nice symmetry. It was a Freedom 90. He's driving car number 90. It was a 90 lap race. It was a a very very impressive performance that again kind of set him on the right path for the rest of the season. Absolutely. So we'll we'll hear from Louis Foster in just a minute. He's won the scholarship to compete in Indy Lights next year. And we already know what he's doing, luckily enough. He's announced that he's racing for Angetti Autosport. So he'll be teammates with Hunter McElroy, who we talked about earlier, who's, who's likely to be, I think, a front runner in that championship. And yeah, it looks like uh, with a couple of teams coming into Indy Lights, looks like the grid's going to be uh, even, even bigger you know, next season. So we'll be looking forward to that. But back on topic with Indy Pro 2000, and we'll go and speak to Louis Foster. So, Louis Foster, thanks so much for joining us on the Race IndyCar podcast. I guess you had a, a fun weekend because you were with Andretti, your your new team in, in IndyCar at Laguna Seca. Tell us how that was. Yeah, so obviously um, did the deal with them and, and announced our signing on Thursday and then travelled up to Monterey, um, Laguna Seca. I live in LA, so it, was a, it wasn't too bad of a drive going up there. And yeah, spent the weekend with the team. Um you know, basically just learning as much as I can about, you know, how they do things and, and what they're about and this, that and the other, you know, again, it's a, it's a new team for me uh, that, that, you know, I wanted to kind of get used to. So when we go into testing, you know, it's not, it's not first hellos. It's, it's, it's nice to see you again kind of thing, you know? So um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh it, it was nice to, to be with them and feel a part of that, of that, of that team. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess I wanted to pick up and start with, I know you've been, you've said a few times this year that you felt like 2022 was kind of like a, a must-win championship year for you, which I, I think is really interesting because obviously you made a, a huge step. I know you've been planning to to kind of move to America for a, for a little while now, but it was still in, in racing terms, a big step to, to come over and, and try street courses and ovals and things like that for the, for the first time with a new team against the, a load of drivers that you'd never raced against before, but you still kind of felt like that was a, you know, a must win kind of year for you. So tell us a little bit about what your, your, your kind of mindset was going into the season and, and why you felt that way. Um, you know, for, 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 for me, obviously, yes, it was difficult to, you know, adapt to everything and new team and new environment, living in a new place, being away from family and friends um, was was tricky at first. But, you know, I, I settled in well and, and got used to it. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the main reason why I would say it was, a, it was a crunch year for me or a bit of a must-win year is... is you know the scholarship money at the end of at the end of it was was needed for me to progress up to Indy Lights. Uh, we we needed to win it and, and, and claim the, the the road to Indy sponsor scholarship money uh, in order to in order to progress further. So for me, it was very much you know if I wanted to continue racing and if I wanted to continue doing single seaters, especially um, that I needed to win. Of course, yes, if I came second or third or didn't do as well, we probably would have taken a second year. Um, but you know, for me, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, get it done and get onto Indy Lights as soon as possible, really. Yeah, I guess it's just been a a bit of a roller coaster in terms of the the way you've gone about it. But obviously, it's worked out extremely well in the end, and, and you got the championship that you were looking for. And I guess a key part of that, and a key part of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say 
like uh, the American paddock and, and the American media, I don't think it's as far as saying like taking you seriously, but I, I think a, a big moment in the season where you really kind of announced yourself to to a lot of people was the the Oval win and, and how you went about that. Talk, talk us through, you know, kind of how you felt in the lead up to that and whether you thought that was possible because we, you know, I think we've seen this quite a lot in recent years, especially in IndyCar with some of the, you know, the Formula One guys like Roma Grosjean and, and Marcus Ericsson coming over and maybe taking a little bit of time to adapt to the ovals and, and learning how they work. But your your race win, you know, you looked like a, an oval veteran. You you let the guys kind of, uh, you know, run out fast at the start of the race. You, you kept your own pace and, you know, you kind of eased into it and, and were very sensible about how you approached it. So tell us a little bit about that. Yes, obviously, first time at an oval was the uh, race at IRP, uh, Lucas Oil Oval. Um, it's quite a small, uh, strange oval um, from from what I was told before going there. You know, they you run the high line the entire way around the track because it's progressively banked. So, you know, you don't dip down towards the apron like, you know, you you, you would assume you would do uh, looking outside in. You you hold the high line, you're, you're on the wall the entire lap because that's the fastest way around the track um so yeah it was definitely difficult to get used to it we had a we had a test day or two before the race weekend uh like most teams to get used to it so yeah and then to be honest with you i i, I narrowed it down really a little bit you know looking at ovals outside in seem from, from a far perspective they seem hard they seem easy because you just go around in circles when once you kind of talk to people and get into a bit more it's it gets a bit more tricky because you kind of understand there's a lot of things that go on during an oval it is very precise and it is very tricky um but yeah i just kind of narrowed it down to just two fast left-handers really i was like i'm not going to overcomplicate it 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 just is what it is they're just banged left-handers um but yeah obviously i worked quite hard for the team on the test days to make sure that we were up to pace for the for the race and yeah honestly during the race i wasn't expecting a win um you know, after starting third and, and kind of being third for the half of the race, I was, you know, pretty content finishing third, really. In my first ever race, I was I was, I was was happy to take a podium. And then, yeah, the two guys in front of me, their tyres just, just started to fall off. And I think they were pushing too hard. And, yeah, they just kind of came back to me and I, and I managed to get the overtakes done and then pull a gap. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was quite a surreal experience, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I, I guess street circuits uh, have been new to you this season as well. And I know... You know, St. Pete probably didn't work out exactly how you wanted. It was your obviously your first race in the championship. And I know how difficult it can be to adapt from, uh, you know, tyres that are typically used in Europe to the to the Cooper tyres are obviously very different in, in the road to Indy. But by the time we had reached Toronto later in the season, you're able to take pole, fastest lap in both races and win both the races. So uh, I guess we can say that uh, street courses, uh, you've, well, let's not say you've mastered them, but you definitely uh, were a lot more comfortable by the time we got to Toronto, let's say. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I do think that St. Pete, I'd I still decently well in. I mean, um, mm. got double podium. Left the left it P two in the standings. Um, yeah, just just had an unfortunate qualifying. Got uh, caught out by a red flag, which means I qualified a bit lower down than I would have hoped to. But um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy street courses again. Like even since turning up at St. Pete, you know, I really enjoy it because it, it there's no room for error, which I like. I like the you know I can't lock up and go off and be like oh well whatever you know I ruin that but we carry on. I like that it's. Um, you know, you can't make mistakes and it tends to mean that drivers uh, underdrive a little bit, whereas I, I like that. Um, and, and you know, I, I've enjoyed them. I'm looking forward to the ones that I'll do next year in Indy Lights. Um, 
you know, new new street courses I'm I'm really looking forward to. So yeah, no, hundred percent. I think I think throughout the year we definitely adapted a lot to the car and the tires and, and and fully figured it out. And all of that led to the championship, and and now you're heading to Andretti in in Indy Lights, which is is always uh, a seat that lots of different drivers are, are trying to get, and it's not always one that's easy to get into. It's always a a bit of an honour when um, Andretti sort of allows you to to take up a seat there in, in Indy Lights because of how competitive they've been in the championship over the past few years. So I guess give us an idea of your your expectations and your your goals for next season. Now you're, you know, in one of the in one of the best teams in Indy Lights and one of the, I guess the biggest name in one of the biggest names in American motorsport as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, like I said, it's 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 been it's been kind of a bit of a surreal last few months with 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 all the signing and the deals and, and talking to these teams. Um mm. you know to me, it means a lot that they they appreciate and value my my efforts, and, and they, they they acknowledge my my um, my achievements. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're going to go into preseason testing. I think we, our first test is Chris Griffiths. It's first time I hop in the Indy Lights car, which is I believe end of October. Uh, so I've got a, a while now. Um, where yeah, so. We'll, we'll try our hardest as always. You know, 100% effort, 110% effort. Um, the approach stays the same from last year. I don't need to change my approach because you know clearly it works. So um, yeah, and I think I think the goal as always is to win. You know, um, it'll be definitely a lot more difficult this year um, as it always will be. Every year you go up, it's going to get harder and harder. So yeah, we'll um, I'll, try, I'll be trying my hardest to make sure that we can we can have podiums, wins, and and hopefully have a good uh, have a good hold on the championship battle towards the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. And now you've got a bit of time in in this off season. Is there anything you 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 want to do either? I, I guess with Andretti or from a I guess kind of just a general life enjoyment kind of point of view. You're obviously out in LA and there's plenty of uh, fun stuff to do out there. So what's the plans for the off season and and how are you going to prepare for next year? Um, preparation wise for next year, obviously staying fit, healthy, and and training and all that, all that, all that malarkey. Um, <laughs> so obviously be doing that as always. Um, and then obviously with Andretti, you know, preparing for every test, making sure that I turn up to each test um, ready to go and, and maximizing the amount of seat time that I get. It's quite limited seat time this year because of a, because obviously the Indy Lights car has gone from Cooper tires to Firestones. There's a bit of a tire shortage at the moment. So it's uh, making it quite difficult to do test days because, you know, there's just no tires. You can't really run a race car with any tires. So um yeah, so it's, it will be a bit tricky. So definitely need to make the most of the limited days we will be getting um, to adapt to the new car and, you know, get to know my engineer and work with him and et cetera. So 100% need to make the absolute most of that. Um, as for general life stuff, really, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty content, you know, as long as I'm as long as long I'm just, you know, making sure that I'm being active on a day-to-day basis and, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty chilled. I've been in LA for about a year now, so it's kind of getting to the stage where most things touristy are a little bit boring. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to go to Santa Monica and ride on the roller coaster anytime soon. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it's always good fun to talk to another Brit, even though I'll probably get accused of uh, bias for having you on the the podcast. But it's been great to speak to you, and we'll definitely be keeping a, a close eye on how you get on in in Indy Lights next year. Well, thank you. Appreciate it, Jack.
All right. It was a lot of fun speaking to another Brit, as I said. It's uh, it's nice to share that on the podcast. So yeah, don't worry. We're not giving any unfair bias to Louis and he's not going to appear on every single episode of uh, the Race IndyCar podcast next year. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep that to a minimum, but it's good to see him there and uh, a very talented uh, young driver who's definitely going to uh, work hard in, in Indy Lights. And I think he'll he'll surprise a few people next year with with what he's able to achieve. I'd like to move on to SF 2000 now, Tony, because for me, this was kind of the most interesting one, really. And it's it's quite often works that way, I think, for, for people who maybe are not quite as on the beat as you are and don't necessarily know all of the drivers coming into SF 2000. Because sometimes you get a few surprises or, you know, people who you're not really expecting to be front runners kind of pop up out of nowhere or just generally it's a stacked championship with a lot of cars and you can have some some really good battles so uh, Michael Di Orlando was the champion this season but he came into the last round 23 points behind entering the the title finale and his title rivals all hit trouble in that Portland finale so yeah an absolutely uh, balmy season really from from every aspect what was your kind of standout moment in in this season Tony? Um, boy, I, I think it's interesting with, with Michael, he's a very down to earth, you know, kid, he's from New York, but he's a third year driver in USF 2000 compared to Miles Rowe, who's in his second season, Jace Denmark, who's in his second season at Paps Racing, the three of them were the, the primary championship contenders. And and he never really had that big of a standout moment. I mean, he had a couple wins early in the season. Again, he had another win on the, the Indianapolis Raceway Park Oval, which he did last year as well. I uh, won at Road America, but he had kind of a toughish midseason and he wasn't really quite in contention. And after, you know, coming in so far down, quite how resilient he was. And I think using that experience to his advantage in Portland, I think, is what what kind of did it. Because the the moment that I think the championship wasn't necessarily won for Dear Orlando, but was lost for Miles Rowe was in the first race on the on the. Friday, I believe. Roe was battling another car for a podium position. He fought it probably a little harder than he needed to, and that dropped him from third to tenth. And so in that one moment, you, you took a, a guaranteed podium and for the points points to situation, and it just kind of went out the window and it made more of a pressure for races two and three. So uh, when D. Orlando was in the position to win in, in the final race of the year, again, after more of just utter pain and, 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 you know, agony for Pabst, uh, with both their, both their drivers. I think, I think it was that experience that kind of shown through and you could see his emotion just as he got up on the, on the winner's step on, on sun on Saturday in the final race and just realized what he'd accomplished. I think the other thing that's cool for, for Michael is this is Cape Motorsports last season in the championship and they have been call it your team Penske or Chip Ganassi racing of USF 2000. <laughs> this is a team that is very, very strong. I think JR may have even had his championship for them back in the day. So yes, I'm old, uh, but uh, <laughs> I, um, they, they have been just, you know, the benchmark that every team has been shooting for. And they've had a lot of champions. And I think there was a sense, I think Pops probably wanted to beat them while they still could. And, and for it to kind of go away and for Michael to rally the way he did in what was a, a very pivotal season. You know, it's rare that you do three years in USF. You usually try to advance after two, but I think he had some good, some good wisdom and, and uh, advice to, to stay for a third year and, and maximize that. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Cause I think definitely in, um, you know, in, in something like F2 or F3 and in some of the European series, even 
if a driver does two or three seasons in a, a junior single seats category, it usually works quite considerably against them when it comes to, you know, how they're rated as as drivers. And sometimes it's difficult for them to to step up to other championships because they, you know, they, are, they have a hard time convincing teams that, that they should get the chance because they've taken, you know, a little bit longer in some of these championships. But I think there's also, a you know, to, to temper that point, I think it's also, you know, important to point out that in, in the likes of IndyCar, you know, I've spent a lot of time praising, you know, how consistent Will Power has been this season. And, you know, just because Michael has been racing in this series for a long time, um, you know, he's shown, you know, he's shown improvement in, in each season. And if we praise consistency in other championships, we probably should do it in this one as well. And, and Michael was, you know, there to pick up the pieces. And I think it was really, uh, really cool that you pointed out the, the kind of miles row. Um, I don't know if you call it an error or a mistake. Cause uh, I guess, you know, he's fighting for position at the end of the day. And these things are, you know, in the moment, it's a, a split second decision to, to make for miles there. But like you said, that's the kind of decision that wins you a championship or loses you one, unfortunately. And very, very sad not to see miles, you know, with everything he's been through over the past two years to, to not win the championship, but also, you know, Michael's worked hard and, and shown a lot of consistency. So without further ado, we'll jump over and we'll speak to Michael Di Orlando right now. So welcome back. And I'm joined by Michael Di Orlando. How are you doing, Michael? Thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. All good. But yeah, I guess um, we should start with the the championship finale, I guess, going into Portland, you were 23 points behind in the in the championship and you were obviously able to to overturn that over the weekend. So give us an idea of the the kind of emotional roller coaster and, and kind of what it took to to actually win the championship in the end. And, and obviously congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Uh what a crazy weekend, honestly, being 23 points back. Um, and especially like you always had the attitude that it's not over till it's over. And uh so we knew that we were in, uh, we had a fighting shot and we definitely knew that if we just kept pushing and kept pushing that we'd, we'd our luck would pay off at some point. Um, and the funny part is in test test, in test session two, I actually put it in the wall. Uh, I lost the round in turn four and then spun around for the car on the wall and missed my practice session that day. So I went, I missed the session, went straight to qualifying and I was like, all right, just going to go drive uh, and do the best that I can at Pulled off ninth place qualifying. Not the greatest, to be completely honest. Um, so in race one, I ended up finishing seventh and then race two, fourth. And uh, I guess it was kind of exactly what I needed to do was keep my head down a bit, just focus on my own race, let everything else play out. Because while Chase was up front, that made Miles kind of, that made both of them kind of like, I guess, need to go out and just absolutely win. Because if they, if they let the other one win, then they end up taking a lead and they're thinking about the championship the whole time. And I'm just sitting here like, I'm just going to let you guys play this out and I'm going to come through, which is exactly what happened. And I don't know how that <laughs> happened, but like, I guess, I guess it's, um, I don't know, I guess it's the experience of maturity. I don't really understand um, why it worked out so well for me this weekend. But I'd like, I personally, I'd like to think that it's pay, it's a payoff for the past two years because. <laughs> Last year was a little tough, and then the year before it was like my first year in USF 2000. Um, so I, I'd like to think it's kind of like a payoff, but yeah, definitely a little bit of luck happened. But if it wasn't for the fact that I kept my head head down and I kept my uh, swallowing my emotions to get through the weekend, that it would pay off, and it ended up doing it. Um, 
So in the last race, I ended up uh, making it all the way up front from sixth place and just led the entire race from there. And God, like when I crossed that finish line, I did not believe it. Like I kept asking, did I do it? Did I do it? Did I do it? Did I do it? And they were like, yeah, yeah, you did, you did. And I didn't believe it until I got the turn sticks and I started tearing up. I'm like, damn, this is like 15 years in the making of like winning a championship in car racing. So it's been a it's been a fantastic like it was a really really emotional weekend. What have you uh, What have you done to celebrate since? How How did you uh, How did you cap it all off? I think. Uh, I mean, the boat days today to be nice, um, but okay. since since then, it's just, you know, been going out to dinners with the family and uh, the obviously the celebration that we have on a Sunday night uh, where you get your awards and everything. That's always pretty fun. That's always really fun. Um, but nothing too crazy. I'm like, I'm a college student, so I've you know been going out with some friends recently, and I think we're doing something this weekend uh, in North North Carolina. That's where the school is. Uh, UNC Charlotte might be going to Greensboro, but that's, that's I mean, other than other than that, it's nothing crazy. Uh, you know, just typical school stuff, do some work and then chill out with friends. But uh, <laughs> nothing, no, nothing super special for celebration. Not really. Just been, just been excited, very excited all week. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell it's, uh, it's contagious. I guess yeah. um, you kind of, you kind of touched on little last year uh, a little bit and kind of wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that because I guess if you look at your stats from this season, they're actually really, really similar to, to last year in terms of how many races you've won and how many podiums you've had and and stuff like that. There's not a lot of difference there. So how do you feel like you've developed as a driver this season? And I guess did missing out on the championship last year really kind of give you extra motivation to, to push on this year and, and achieve what you have? Oh, obviously missing out on the championship last year did give me the extra motivation. And after last year, we actually weren't sure what I was going to do. Obviously, with budget constraints, adding a brother in motorsports, it was a quite difficult choice. And uh, the Capes and I and our sponsors, like Rising Star Racing, uh, definitely came together and said that it's probably the best option to go and stay in uh, USF 2000 and get the championship because that'll be an extra thing that you can learn. And I think from the biggest thing from I, that I learned from this year to last year is I normally see myself as an attacker, a driver that like will always go for that move. I'm an attacker. I can move up from any position. but the problem with that is, is that I'm not patient. <laughs> so there was a couple of times this year and a lot of times last year that I ended up putting myself in a, not, in a bad situation because of just trying too fast. You mentioned Kate Motorsports there, obviously a, a really significant team in, in junior motorsports in, in America. Um, I guess kind of coincidentally, considering I'm the one talking set up by some Brits. But um, yeah, I guess what's it like to drive for drive for them and uh, I know they're two, you know, really fun guys to to be around. But in terms of, you know, what they've been able to achieve in in motorsport, they must have, you know, they must be one of the best teams to give you a platform to be able to compete for the success that you've had this year. Definitely. Uh, they haven't won 14 championships and two leader cars for no reason. So obviously, I mean, me being the 14th, um, they've been very, very good to me in the past two years, and especially every other driver they've worked with. But um uh, I'll be the last USF 2000 winner for them, which is honestly quite an honor. It feels like an honor, but uh, yeah, they've been, they've done everything. They're super serious. They're super serious about their uh, about the sport, and they're super. Uh, they have a lot of perseverance. They're super dedicated to it. So they put every ounce of soul of what they have in the motorsports, and I absolutely for it. Uh, so working with them for the past three years has been 
amazing and just honestly felt like at home. And it's, it's you know, it's the case too. They've been around a while, so it's not even all like work. Um, they have they're really great guys that can put together a good race team. But even going out to dinner with them every night is, is always a always a uh, a good experience. So working with them has been a huge blessing. Yeah, I'm sure it has. I guess that kind of moves us on to the next question. And obviously the the great thing about the Road to India is the, the scholarships that it offers for its champions. So where are you at with your, you know, planning for next year and, and how everything's going? What what do you know and what 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 I guess is yet to be sorted for you for, for next season? Well, we have yet to do any testing with any teams for uh, Indy Pro 2000 yet. Uh, I know my brother races, has been racing for EA. So if, if uh, Nick does end up racing for EA next year, we, there might have a, a little bit of a deal or like you know, two kids, maybe lower the cost down a bit. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, but I think uh, we haven't really done any testing. We've just been looking into them and talking. I've been talking to a couple of team owners like Oni Cabs, like Yonkos, EA, um, Michael Domkaff at EA. So um, I haven't really done anything super, super in-depth yet. I know some drivers, you know, did a, a couple of tests before the season ends and you know, maybe that's why they, you know, failed in this last race weekend. But Jason Miles, maybe they were focusing on Indy Pro, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we got this. In, we got this race beginning in the bag." And next, you know, I come out and be like, "Yeah, no, you don't." But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but any, anyways, maybe maybe they moved shifted the focus too quick. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I I haven't focused on uh, Indy Pro uh, yet, so that's going to be something that happens in the near future for sure. I guess just uh, just to kind of finish off here, give us maybe one fact that the the listeners might not know about you. Kind of introducing some of the the, the road to indie guys to to an IndyCar podcast. What what might be something that IndyCar fans might not know about you as a driver? So I don't know. I don't know if it's an unusual thing, but uh, as a I'm not just a driver. I actually uh, focus myself a lot more in the car realm. Anyways, like I'm a huge car guy. I, I have a 2013 Subaru WRX that I work on. Um, so I don't know a lot of drivers that, you know, are also car guys as well. I know Graham Brayhall is, he's got his whole program thing going on with that too. Um, but that's pretty much what I do. I've made a whole group of friends and, uh, I'm actually starting up or having a whole bunch of a startup, like a car meet group in Charlotte. So, uh, we can get that, uh, the community up and going with that too. That'd be super fun, but that's pretty much me on the, on the, on the side of it i'm just you know it's all happy go lucky guy with that likes driving and working on race cars so <laughs> that's pretty much it's pretty much me has that given you uh do you feel like it's given you a better understanding of you know what you're able to, to kind of feedback in terms of you know what you're telling the team and, and stuff like that uh, is it giving you a bit more of a kind of global perspective of of uh, i guess how a, a race team works and and how you can obviously improve the I guess the feedback and the, the level of engineer on the car as well. Yeah, it definitely has. I think uh, understanding cars, especially like the ones that I work on, I can kind of go from car to car and uh, understand the, ter- the terminology and, and uh, exact and kind of how it works. I'm not the, I'm not super in depth, I'm not like a, you know, certified AAA mechanic, but like, you know, it's, uh, it's not like, uh, but I have a pretty good understanding of, what does what? And I think I can, on any given day, if I wanted to, uh, you know, go out and test a car, uh, that 90% of the time I will, or maybe 95% of the time I'm going to be correct. I feel like I would be correct in what I would need to change, uh, to get a certain, to get a certain thing out of the car. So if I like oversteer, then like, 
depending on where it is, you change this or that, but maybe a little bit of respiratory wing. I think in terms of understanding cars, it definitely helps me a little bit more and gives me an advantage in that because I can talk a little bit more technical to the engineer and we can kind of bounce things off each other. Like me and Dominic bounce things off each other. Like, yeah, what if we did this? And it's like, okay, well maybe instead of doing that, we can do this thing. And I would under- completely understand where he's coming from from that. So it definitely helps in the race car from understanding how to set how to set up the car and get the most out of it. But and the reason why I do it is purely because I love it. That's really why. Awesome. Well, Michael, thanks so much for joining us. You you came from from twenty three points back at the start of the weekend to to win the USF two thousand championship at Portland. So a big congratulations on that. Thanks for joining us and thanks for delaying your trip out onto the lake to to speak to us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. He's definitely very. Uh, I think. Did you use the word humble earlier, Tony? I think he's. Def- I think that's definitely a, a good word to describe him. And uh, he, he definitely knows. You know, things worked out well for him this season, and he, he did get a little bit of that that fortune, especially in the in the last round. But you know, he still worked hard to to achieve what he has this year. So, what do you expect to see from him next season in terms of? He's obviously not sure what he's going to do just yet, but we're you know, we're, we're obviously expecting him to take the scholarship and, and jump up to Indy Pro. Are you expecting him to fight for the championship kind of immediately in Indy Pro? Or do you think we're going to see, you know, something similar along the lines of what we've seen from him in USF 2000? Maybe he's going to take a little bit of time to, to bet in. Uh, I would say it's very team dependent in Indy Pro 2000. I mean, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of good teams. There's probably four or five that have championship and or race winning potential, depending on the weekend. I mean, whether it's a, whether it's an exclusive, whether it's a Simcoe's Hollinger, I mean, Cape, his team that, that he's been with is, is stepping to Indy Lights. So uh, he'll be learning a new group of people wherever it is. And I think just in, by, by nature, depending on either the testing or the preseason program he has, if, if he starts strong, I'd be, that'd be great, but I, I don't anticipate it right out of the gate. So um, we'll, we'll see what he does though. I think he's, you know, I think that the thing that's cool about really road to Indy in general is that, you never know what moments in your career are going to be those pivotal ones that either keep it going or don't. So if he's able to progress further as a result of this championship win and, and for miles sake, I hope he does too. I mean, you know, he was a excellent title rival combatant and clearly he's shown what he's capable of. I think they just need a little bit more consistency and a little bit uh, racecraft enhancements at times. So hopefully the two, hopefully the two of them are able to continue their battle, similar to how Kirkwood and Malukas did, or Lundquist might be able to do versus Malukas, or however. That's that's one of the coolest things about it is seeing these kind of sort of rivalries or or battles continue and, and progress up the ladder. Yeah, absolutely, and I guess with Miles, you know, it's. Uh... He obviously had a few years out and and came back last year and, and got the full season in and then you know faced a load of uncertainty in the off season and I guess didn't know if he was going to be racing again this season so I guess the fundamental thing for him to to kind of unlock his top level is to actually get a good run at you know consistently competing in a championship and knowing that he's going to have that chance but also we all know that's part of uh, junior open wheel racing that sometimes there's not that certainty there if you're not someone who's well-funded so it's it's part of what you've got to race with and, and part of you know you have to compete with that that pressure on you which is uh, i guess part of this journey so tony thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the race indycar podcast i know you do a lot of great work with steve Wittick on trackside online and i know you're very active on twitter as we mentioned earlier as well so give us a little bit of a flavor of where people can read more of your work and and also, you know, where they can find you on your, your social media channels as well. 
Yeah, thanks, Jack. And, uh, you know, like uh, like you said, my colleague and friend Steve Wittick's been really good with the Road Indy stuff on Trackside Online and, and TSO Ladder. So uh, those are the primary places. I, I do I tend to do a handful of events on site per year. Uh, it's usually month of May into Road America timeframe, um, which is usually my, my favorites. But there always a, are a couple more that come online toward the end of the year. And then at Tony Dezino on Twitter for my random thoughts, musings, insights, deep dives, statistical nerddom, and whatever else <laughs> banter you want to you want to call out. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And we're definitely looking forward to, to keeping up with what you've got to uh, write about next season. So that's all for this episode of the Race IndyCar podcast. Make sure you're checking out www.the-race.com for all your news and features that I have to advertise to you every single episode. And also make sure that you go and check out our new app, which is uh, very easy to use on your phone. And yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely an upgrade when you're using your mobile and stuff like that. So definitely give that a go. We'll say another big thank you to Tony Dezino for joining us on this episode. We'll hope to have him back at some point next season to talk about this kind of stuff again. If you did enjoy a bit more of an episode based on the junior series, then let us know. Send us a tweet or you can email us podcasts at the hyphen race.com. Yeah, let us know. If you want us to do more stuff like this, then we need you to, to step up and let us know and then we can do it. So just give us a shout. So that's all for this week's episode and we'll speak to you soon. The Athletic.